Welcome to the Loveland Libcast, the official podcast of the Loveland Public Library. From Freddie Bitsui and James Beard Award-winning author James O. Fraioli, New Native Kitchen is a celebration of Indigenous cuisine. Offering delicious dishes like cherry stone clam soup from the Northeastern Wampanoag and spice-rubbed pork tenderloin from the Pueblo peoples, Bitsui showcases the variety of flavor and culinary history on offer from coast to coast, providing modern interpretations of 100 recipes that have long fed this country. This is New Native Kitchen, celebrating modern recipes of the American Indian by Chef Freddie Bitsui and James O. Fraioli. Hello, welcome to the Love and Live Past. Today we are talking about the cookbook group for November, which is New Native Kitchen. And I have with me Ashley Reeder, as always. Ashley, welcome. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. How are you doing? This kind of, we're fully into fall now. Last time we talked about excitement for fall, and it has Mm -hmm. snowed since last time. We're fully in it. We are right in the depths of Colorado fall, I think, enjoying 70 degree days and snowy weekends. So it has been a lovely time, and I've been having a good time thinking about this book and cooking from it and just generally enjoying the nice weather when we have it. Yeah. Well, I have a few library updates before we get started. And by a few, I mean one. November is Native American Heritage Month. And it is also NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. So what we're having at the library for NaNoWriMo are little write-ins on Monday evenings from five until about close, which is like 6.45. So if you just have a project you're working on for NaNoWriMo or unrelated, you just wanna get some writing done, that will be up in the Arian Room every Monday night in November. And you'll see yours truly there writing along with you. So that's the- oh, very fun. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be fun. It's um, very low pressure. We're just gonna get together and say, right on the whiteboard, like what our goals for the writing session is, and then just, quietly write and hopefully feed off of each other's energy, writing energy, and actually get the work done. How fun. Are you participating in NaNoWriMo? I am to what extent I can. I mean, of course, I had Mm -hmm. big dreams of doing it. Last year, I did it. Um, And here we are, November 3rd, and I haven't haven't written a word, so (laughs) I'm already behind. (laughs) But there's time to catch up, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is. I believe in you, and I'm sure the creative energy in the room will be um, supremely helpful to everyone who attends. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, let's just jump in. Let's talk about uh, this book. So this month, we have The New Native Kitchen by Freddie Bitsui. Can you tell us a little bit about why we chose this cookbook for November? Totally. So you mentioned that uh, November is Native American Heritage Month. So we really thought that this would be a wonderful opportunity to focus on some of the culinary traditions. And of course, there is no single 
American Indian cuisine, but there are many, many groups across North, Central, and South America uh, that have kind of interwoven together over history. And this book investigates a lot of that. Freddie Bitsui is a Navajo chef. He says he grew up all around, specifically uh, Utah, I think California and New Mexico and some Arizona, I believe. And he was the executive chef at the Mitsitem Native Foods Cafe at the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Indian. And now he's currently a chef in residence at a nonprofit called North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems. The acronym for that is Natives. So he is kind of involved all around in the current American Indian culinary conversation. Specifically in this cookbook, he dives into the foodways of a few different nations, including the Cheyenne, Hopi, Wampanoag, the Chumash, and a few other peoples. Uh, he also explores some really cool native local ingredients like acorn, blue corn, choke cherry, and nopales, which you might remember from our episode with Yvette Marquez Sharpnack, our Mezcla cookbook episode, where we talked a little bit about nopales, which are uh, cactus petals, fresh cactus petals. We get to revisit that in this book and add a couple of more ingredients to our cultural culinary dictionary. Yeah, something I thought that was really cool about this book is that he makes a point in the introduction saying that most of the recipes use ingredients that are that you can find easily with some exceptions that you might have to adventure a little bit to find. But he also includes at the front a kind of section that's Native American pantries that has all kinds of ingredients that, like you said, acorn meal, nopales, choke cherry, juniper, berries, mm -hmm. uh, cedar leaves, like all kinds mm -hmm. of ingredients that that I really have no experience cooking with. Do you have much, like, what did you think of when you read that section? Have you cooked with any of these ingredients? Have you seen the, I mean, nopales is maybe a, a little bit more common. There are a few things that are more common within mm -hmm. this section and some that I've never seen in a grocery store before. So what is your experience yeah. with those ingredients? Yeah, I have cooked with a couple of things. Like you said, the things that are easily accessible, I'm pretty familiar with most of it, like agave syrup or agave nectar, also known as Aztec beans and uh, some of the various chilies, like the Anaheim chili, which we are very familiar here. Uh, we call it the Hatch chili or the Pueblo chili. Uh, so that is still very much a part of our regional cuisine. And I think we've all tasted that and cooked with that at some point. Yeah. And I think the ingredient section of this cookbook was so fascinating to me and I had such a good time reading through it and it's kind of empowered me to maybe go out and get some nopales because he has some, a really easy recipe for it so it's a good I'd say most of the recipes in this book are pretty easy and accessible so um, if you're looking to experiment with some new ingredients, he offers a really good way to do that. So I think this is such a good reference for actually going out and cooking with those things, if you can find them. I think one of the most interesting ones that he called out was saguaro seeds, like the cactus seeds. 
which I would be thrilled to find and taste and cook with. Did you have a sense of what that flavor profile would even be? No, I've really never tasted anything like that. I don't, I've tried prickly pear before, but I think that's as far as I've gotten into cactus related cuisine. So that would be really interesting to try. Yeah, I, it's looking at that pantry and seeing all the food, all these, I mean, this is going to sound so silly, but seeing all these ingredients that are around us, like juniper berries mm-hmm. and things that an acorn meal and things that are naturally growing around us, it's like, why are we so afraid to, to engage with those foods? And it mm-hmm. reminded me, so I grew up in um, Nevada near Don- near where the Donner Party party died. Mm, yeah. This is gonna this is gonna circle back. Um, <laughs> and we had a lot of like regional education growing up about the Donner Party. Like it was very much part of our school system learning about the Donner Party. And one of the stories I remember learning about is that one of the Donner Party people was kicked out because um, I think he shot somebody in the group, and mm-hmm. he was sent on his own. And I could be mixing stories up here, but he ends up like starving and comes across a group of indigenous people that mm-hmm. give him like acorn meal, like mash, like a kind of like an oatmeal made with, made with acorn meal. And mm-hmm. uh, this like European white guy who was starving to death was so like mm-hmm. uh, weirded out by eating acorns that he refused to eat it. Oh. And then wow. he probably died. <laughs> Yeah. So it's like these like long (laughs) histories of people not engaging with the food that is present around Mm -hmm. them. And even still, I see that sort of in myself, even though I'm an adventurous eater and, you know, our featured recipe is a savory chocolate recipe. And at first I'm a little like, oh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's so funny that we just. Yeah, it's so easy to get caught up in our preconceived notions of what is and isn't food. I was actually watching the TED talk for a chef called Sean Sherman uh, just before we started recording. And he is, we might talk about him a little bit more later, but he is commonly known as the Sioux chef, S-I-O-U-X chef. He's really, really pushing uh, Native American foods into our current food systems, I think. But anyway, he was talking in his TED talk about how we're surrounded by food and we should be thinking more about how to optimize our spaces to use it for growing food purposes. Like if we can maintain miles and miles of lawn for golf courses, you know, in Florida, we can certainly maintain miles and miles of garden systems or things that would be productive. And I remember he specifically said, stop calling things weeds because that only means you don't know what they are. And know what they can be used for. Like dandelion greens, we think are weeds, but have been eaten and dandelion root and dandelion, you know, flowers have been eaten for thousands of years, you know? Yeah. I think I need to do more research about where I can get good dandelion greens because I'm always afraid to go pick them. I don't have a lawn of my own or like a a yard of my own. We live in a townhome. So I'm always afraid that there will be sprayed stuff on it but I would love to cook with dandelion greens more yeah yeah 
Were there any recipes in here that, other than our featured recipe, that looked interesting to you? The lamb soup with blue corn dumplings, that looked really, really delicious. And the Aztec beans and roasted green chili recipes, because I got some roasted green chilies at the farmer's market this year, and I'm excited to. I cleaned them and froze them, so they are ready to to go in with some beans. Yeah, I made cedar plank salmon, Mm. sockeye salmon, that had juniper berries, sage. The juniper berries is funny because my dog is named Juniper, so I Mm. my mom always gives me like these tiny little seed uh, spice packets of juniper berries for like my like stocking for Christmas, and Mm. I've never ever used them because. I just didn't know how to cook with them. And so it was kind of exciting to see, to be able to bust out these Christmas juniper berries. To yeah, <laughs> how cool. Did you like it? Yeah, it was really good. Although I had never cedar planked fish before and I did it in the mm. oven. So I think the whole thing didn't get smoky enough. And so mm. I don't think the cedar flavor was very infused really at all. So next time I'll do it on the grill. Yeah, that makes total sense. Very cool. I would I need to try that one as well. We have some good salmon that our neighbor just gave us from Alaska, like actually caught in Alaska. So I'm excited. Cool. Yeah. Well, so should we talk about our featured recipe? We shall. It's an interesting one. Yeah. So we the featured recipe this month is chocolate bison chili. And What's going to be included in those cookbook kits are cayenne, coriander, and bay leaves. And those are going to come out Thursday, November 9th. Originally, I was going to include semi-sweet chocolate chips in the recipe because that's what the recipe calls for. But in order to make enough kits for the library, it would have been 25 pounds of chocolate chips that I would have Mm. had to buy. (laughs) You just bulk ordering chocolate chips. Yeah, it was a little out of budget, 25,000 mm. chocolate chips, but that might be a good thing anyway, because we'll talk about how to adjust the sweetness. People might have different preferences on how much sweetness they want in their chili anyway. So mm-hmm. chocolate bison chili, what did you think about this recipe? Um, I, like I said before, felt a little anxious at the start to put chocolate in chili because I just don't think of chocolate as a savory flavor, even though it is mm-hmm. used as a savory flavor in a lot of cuisine. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we all know how chocolate, or I think it's a commonly known fun fact that chocolate originally, you know, the way that it was originally consumed was in a kind of spicy and bitter drink by the Aztecs. It was never really a sweet ingredient uh, in its early days. And the Pueblo people, I found, were, were maybe the first ones in the northern con- continent to start drinking this chocolate drink when they started trading with cultures in southern Mexico, or excuse me, in northern Mexico. Chocolate's commonly used, like you said, in many different uh, cuisines, especially in like Central and Southern America. Uh, Mexican mole negro is a very, very common and popular type of mole that has a bitter, usually dark chocolate. So as you mentioned, putting chocolate into chili might feel a little bit different to us, but 
it's a pretty historically established ingredient, especially in, in the area that that this comes from. Often, like I said, with these kinds of recipes, you'll find dark chocolate or cocoa powder used. Uh, many people, as I was kind of doing some research online just to see how much it's used today, uh, many people put it like to put dark chocolate in their chili or braised beef or you know other kinds of slow cooked applications. But this recipe actually uses semi sweet chocolate chips, which was kind of a fun and different approach to the application. So semi-sweet chocolate chips can be a little bit more accessible for a lot of people than maybe a really dark chocolate or, you know, you don't always have cocoa powder in your, in your pantry. I really liked this recipe. I thought it was so interesting and I thought it was really indicative of what the book was getting at. Like we're cooking with bison, we're cooking with chocolate, we're cooking with like these chili powders which I, I really, really enjoyed. And, and the recipe was really good before you added the chocolate and it was good after as well. I would say if I made it again, I would probably use either a little bit less of the semi-sweet chocolate or use dark chocolate to give it more of a bitter flavor. It was just a little bit sweet for me, but I think that it is perfectly delicious and one that's worth a try. Did you make yours with bison? I did, yeah. How do you think that this chili would taste with beef? And mm. do you think that bison is itself a kind of interesting enough flavor that it significantly adds to the recipe? I think that in this recipe itself, I don't know that you'd be able to tell if you use beef instead of bison and vice versa, uh, because bison and beef are fairly similar. I eat mostly grass-fed beef uh, just because my family raises grass-fed beef, so it's just within my my taste to do so. I'd say both grass-fed beef and bison are a little bit maybe gamier than your normal uh, conventional beef. There is a lot of talk as well about bison in terms of the environment. We know that eating meat is generally not great for the environment, especially beef. And bison is a slightly better alternative to beef. It's a little bit less um, methane producing than beef is. So I think bison's worth paying attention to and swapping out sometimes. So I'm, I'm looking to swap out some of our meat uh, going forward with bison because I like it and it's a little bit better. Yeah. And they're so cool. <laughs> they are so cool. It feels special when you get, when you see a bison somewhere, you're like, wow. You, yeah. you belong here. Like you fit right in. <laughs> yeah. There's a CSU has a research herd of bison up at Soapstone, which is like right on the border of Colorado and um, Wyoming, just about like 30 minutes north of Fort Collins. And they keep mm -hmm. a research herd there. And so occasionally we'll go up, we'll go mountain biking and you'll see the bison in the distance. Anyway. Oh, very cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't eat meat. So I originally thought for this recipe, I was going to use like a impossible ground beef, which is what I would have used for making chili or something like that. Cause it, I mean, it tastes enough. Like it, it cooks mm -hmm. similarly. It doesn't taste the same, but yeah. it cooks similarly, but the, the grocery store didn't have any, they were totally out. So I ended up using this spicy, like chorizo fake meat. And it was really quite spicy. Um, there's only like a half a teaspoon of cayenne I think in this recipe 
so my version was really spicy, which I like, and the sweetness, it was pretty sweet, but the spiciness, like they really counteracted each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't taste overly sweet to me. Was your chili very spicy? Mine wasn't particularly spicy. I would have liked it more spicy. That said, I also didn't use cayenne. I didn't have any. I used some dried New Mexico red New Mexican chili powder, which is a similar spice level I found. And it wasn't, I, I would have liked it a little bit spicier and added added more uh, towards the yeah. end. Like we mentioned, chocolate and chili is such a good pairing. Like a spicy chocolate is delicious. So it works. Something I was going to add when we talked about the origins of chocolate, I learned a fun fact uh, from my <laughs> from my Duolingo app, which they have Love a little, that. thank you. They have a little blog uh, where linguists kind of write uh, little articles and they had a blog about w- words that are the same in every language. Mm-hmm. And they had a few contenders and they concluded that the words chocolate and coffee are the same in every language. Mm. And I'll explain what that means in a second. And then a bunch of readers that spoke various languages wrote in and with some exceptions, but nobody had an exception for chocolate, which is chocolate comes from the Nahuatl word X-O-C-O-L-A-T-L. The reason that that is the way is that chocolate is so specific to one place in the world Mm. that when elsewhere in the world came across this food, they came across that language's word for that food simultaneously Mm. there was no other word for it so when they were being introduced to it they were also being introduced to the the word entirely so every language that uses the word chocolate has a you know they have variants that make sense for their language like for example some languages don't have the ch sound at all so it's like an Mm. s sound but it's Mm. like as close as that language can get to that original that very original Nahuatl word word or like Japanese I think can't end in like a t sound so there's a o at the end of it stuff like that Mm -hmm. but it's the one word in the world that is the same that is so fascinating I love that story so now that we've tried some recipes in this book looked at recipes looked at all these ingredients um, for folks that want to continue thinking about eating indigenous food following indigenous chefs, where would you direct them, Ashley? So I believe that this person is doing some events or has done or will do some events with the Loveland Library, but uh, Andrea Murdoch is a local chef and she works with nonprofits and food sovereignty projects like the Denver Indian Center and Revision. Uh, Like I said, she is a chef. She does speaking events, consulting, and some catering. So she's a really great resource if you are an organization or just an individual who wants to learn more about Native American cuisine from someone who is local. If you would like to have a little bit more information, you can also look up Sean Sherman, who I mentioned earlier, aka the sous chef. Uh, He's a part of the Oglala Lakota Nation and the author of Sioux Chef's Indigenous Kitchen 
He is the one who co-founded Natives that I mentioned earlier. He also owns a restaurant in Minneapolis. He has been recognized by the Times 100 Most Influential list, and he's received two James Beard Awards, and he has a really good TED Talk that I enjoyed immensely. I was recently at a wedding in Minneapolis, and I went to Omni, and uh, we had a big group, so we just went for lunch thinking that we weren't going to be able to get in for dinner, Uh, and it was amazing. I mean, Mm. it was like such interesting ingredients and these amazing corn tacos. I don't know. It was, it was really, really, really delicious. So highly recommend if you're in the Minneapolis area. So what about uh, if you're not in Minneapolis and are alas in Colorado, (laughs) is there anywhere here? Well, Yes, there is some representation here, although that TED Talk that I've mentioned multiple times now, uh, his the actual topic is why there aren't that many Native American restaurants around, and that has to do a lot with the historical displacement and the massive amount of tumult that the Native American communities have been through, but In Denver, there is actually a fast casual restaurant called Tokabe, and they serve things like Indian tacos and fry bread and salads and bowls. Uh, If you get a little bit into the history of, of Native American cuisine, fry bread is actually a really cool thing to learn about. It's not actually a a traditional dish. It kind of came out of this era of reservations getting subsidized food products from the government. And that included a lot lot of like canned meats and flour and oil and cheese that they were not accustomed to eating, but that's all they had to eat. And fry bread and, and Navajo tacos came out of that. They are really delicious though, and they have a really interesting history. And people who like that might also be interested in the Kamal Heritage Food Incubator, which is also in Denver. I couldn't find a lot north of Denver, unfortunately, although I'd love to to hear about it. Uh, Kamal is a restaurant, but it's also a paid training program for immigrant and refugee women entrepreneurs, and they serve a lot of traditional and some indigenous Central and South American cuisine. And a lot of the women who start at Kamal then go on to create their own businesses and restaurants after they have gotten the training from the restaurant. So it's a cool way to support the community as well. Well, thanks, Ashley. Um, I have sad news for all of our listeners, <laughs> which is that next episode, our December episode, is our last episode with Ashley. So Tune in for sure, and um, we'll figure out what how the cookbook group will look without Ashley, but next episode, our last one with her. Yeah, we can shed a tear together, and yeah. it'll be a lovely sending off, and I'm excited to continue picking a new cookbook every month. I think that's a, a theme I want to yeah. have forever now. Totally, same. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening everybody and don't forget that those kits are out uh the second thursday of the month which in november is november 9th um for chocolate bison chili and thank you ashley have a wonderful month 
Thank you, you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Loveland Libcast. If you'd like to contact us about the podcast, please reach out to Daniel at daniel.tate at cityofloveland.org. That's D-A-N-I-E-L dot T-A-T-E at cityofloveland.org. See you next time.